Good to see everybody today on this holiday weekend. Ready for one of my favorite disciplines. We just get here and we gather and we get ready and then we just see what God has to say to us from the Word. And this is where we're at at the moment. And we're in the book of Titus. It's a very short little series. This is week two of Titus and the last week. <laughs> so I told you, it's a mini-series. And you're welcome because this is the first Bible study you ever finished, isn't it? Study this week, like, nailed it. You nailed Titus. Good job. That is awesome. I'm happy for you. But here's what we're into and why with Titus. Titus is about this. We have a whole group of people on an island, the island of Crete, that resemble this. This is uh, verse 16 out of chapter 1. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. So it goes on to say that because of that, they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work, which is not okay because God saved them. Let's talk about them for a little bit before we apply it to us. God saved them for good. God reached out to them. God made the reach all the way to the planet through Christ to, to rearrange their life and give them salvation so that they could be a part of what he's doing. You're supposed to be a force for good going forward, not just stop. So there's a certain amount of frustration here with God or from God to them. And this word then becomes a corrective word from him to anyone who resembles that. So let's just leave it up there for a moment. Do you profess to know him? But no one can really tell. What's your life look like? Because if you resemble that, then this is a corrective word from God to you and I as well. So I don't think anyone in this room is, is left out, this platform included. Because it's easy. It's easy to talk it. But it's also easy never to... Do you look into the word on your own at all? To ever discover what it says to you, for you, by yourself? Or do you only ever wait for me to come and tell you what it says? Do you really look for it to guide your life? Or do you just go to church? Do you know what it says? Or you just kind of cherry pick the best parts? Jesus died for me. That's good enough. Let's just go on our way. If that's you, then this is a corrective word. So the correction was this. And I, I, think it's, I don't think it's reserved for the island of Crete. Agreed? All right. So we're in it. This is what he says. First thing. How are we going to correct this? One, we need honorable men. This is chapter one. Honorable men who can, we're going to put them over the people. We're going to put them with the people, next to the people for a couple of reasons. One, to protect them from bad teaching. So protection, give them some good teaching and imitation. These are men whose lives are worthy of imitation. So you can say, hey, this is how the Christian life is lived. And then those same men, will, we will be held accountable to them. We need accountability. We need accountability to live it out. And then we'll be accountable to these men, the leaders, if you will. So well, there's a description of the qualifications of those leaders. We asked you last time hey, as, you, as you read through this book and you think about someone that reminds you of what you're reading here, then go ahead and, and name their name because we're adding leaders as part of this church for, for this very reason, to work out whatever we're reading. So some names came in last week, and we just ask you to continue to do that as you find someone that resembles what you're reading and you think, man, they would be a good leader here, then continue to list them out. So that was part one, honorable men, good leaders. Bad company, 
corrupts good character. Good, good company can have the opposite effect, and so let's get some good company. Two, then, here's chapter two. He says, the next part of this is teach the right stuff. You need to teach sound doctrine. So here's chapter two, part two, Titus two. Ready? There we go. It says, but as for you, so he's talking to Titus. Titus is the guy who's been left behind on this island to fight for holiness in the people. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. The last one is kind of to Titus himself. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent, should there be one, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. We'll stop at verse 8. I think that's enough. So, in addition to, if we're going to fix the problem, and the problem is fruitless Christianity, claiming it but not living it, one is accountability to honorable men, good leaders. And two, teach sound doctrine. Make sure that all the groups in the church, you got the young, you got the old, you have the men, you have the women, make sure that they know what the Word of God says to them for their life where they are. With this belief, there's an underlying belief that runs in the second chapter of Titus, and that is this. If you have right doctrine, believing the right things, then it will lead ultimately to right behavior. Right, so let's talk about doctrine, because it's churchy and weird, and we don't use that word very often, so let's understand what it is. Doctrine is this. The Bible's going to teach about certain subjects. It's going to reveal what God says is true about, let's say, like Holy Spirit. What is true about the Holy Spirit? What's true about the Spirit of God? So you read the Word as God's revelation, and you're like, okay, this is true, and this is true. And you take it from the whole Word, not just one spot. You take it from all over the place. So it's going to pile it up and say, these things are true about the Spirit. Then the cross. What's up with the cross? What happened at the cross? Why did it need to happen? How was it foreshadowed? How do we live from it? Like all the things that are true about the crucifixion of Jesus. So it's going to reveal it as, by God, these things are true about that. Pick something else. Is Jesus coming back? Um, when is it going to be? So the Bible reveals all these things. All right. Your doc so here they are. Your doctrine is what you believe. Sound doctrine is if you believe that. Make sense? It's possible for the Bible to say all kinds of stuff about something, and you say, well, I believe this. That is unsound doctrine. We talked about the Jews in this church. When it came to the cross, they, it revealed that once and for all, God attached to Christ the sin of humanity and has the ability to impute to, his, impute to you his righteousness forever. But they looked at that and like, man, I don't really believe that. It's Jesus plus no pork that saves you. Bad doctrine. So it's sound doctrine to say, I believe what it reveals. So here's sound doctrine from life. So these are the we believes as revealed by Scripture. I'll just go through them quickly. I'm sharing them for a reason. I'm going to, get to give you all of them. We believe 
that the Old and New Testament are the inspired word of God. You, you hear that every week. I'm telling you, if I'm reading scripture, it is as God is speaking to you because that's what God said he was doing. It is inspired by him. We believe that in one God existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because that's what the Bible reveals. We see God the Father. We see God the Son. Christ came, God in the flesh, who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We believe that the Holy Spirit is God, capital H, capital S, Holy Spirit. Who is, next one, we believe that the Spirit was sent. So Christ ascends, and then the Spirit comes down to help. He, he has all kinds of jobs. His jobs are in there to convict of sin. You can't believe the gospel until he, allow, he wakes you up. He gives you the ability to even believe it in the first place. Before you ever believed, the Spirit was at work in your life. All right, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm, I'm not righteous. I can sit up here and say all day long, you are not righteous people. And you're like, well, yes, I am. But then if the Spirit of God starts to work on you, you're like, he's right. So it starts to work in. He has all these different roles, makes you spiritually alive, born from above. We talked about that. A new nature that you've received, providing comfort, guidance, courage. I would even say the ability to go do what God has asked you to do. So that's what the sound doctrine. Next one has to do with the cross. Man by himself has no means whatsoever to make himself right with God. That without Jesus Christ paying the full price for our sin on the cross, sinful man is hopelessly and eternally lost. Again, hear that every week. The next one, because right with God is a gift. I, I, I tell you, if you hear from a platform, be good, be good, be good, but you never hear gifted right, gifted right, receive it, they're doing it wrong. Righteousness is a gift from God to be received by you. When you do that, the, first, the next thing you do is you get baptized because that's what we see in the Word. The water and baptism doesn't have anything to do with washing your sins away. That has everything to do with you receiving the substitutionary life and death of Jesus. That's it. That's what cleans you. The baptism tank is for you to tell everybody else, hey, I'm a Christian. Why? Because that's good doctrine. That's what we see in the Word over and over and over again. Next, from that point on, there should be a holiness that's coming out of the believer. You, after the baptism tank, should look different than you before. And I'm not talking about this day. I'm talking about in the season of your life. There should be something very different about you. The life of the believer is to be marked with hope. Why? Because it's called for over and over and over again in the Word. That's good doctrine. Now, here's, where, here's why I'm showing you all of them. Because we're going to camp on this one, number seven, today. Where is your holiness? People in the church, where is your holiness? But it's never pressed outside of all the others. So it's always pressed, good doctrine is pressed in concert with everything else. So we can press holiness because, hey, you have everything you need to do it. God reached down. He provided the Holy Spirit. He, he caused you, to, he woke you up. He, Plucked you from the mire, all the different things we say about it. God has already been at work in you, and he's still in work in you, and so you can do this because he that is in you is greater than it's in the world. So never, as you hear it today, we're going we're gonna to jump all over this one. There should be a holiness in your life, but sound doctrine means it's coming at you with a full knowledge of everything else. Got it? And then the last one just says, when is he coming back? So <laughs> we're... 
fighting for holiness, and then he's coming back, and those, those become. All right, so sound doctrine for old men. Older men in the church. That's the first piece. So this is not just the older men in the church. The context would here, here would be older Christian men. So if you've seen our baptism tank, you know that people come to faith late in life. So this is not just older for older. This is, have you been a Christian for a decade or two, 25, 35 years? You believed and received a long time ago. This is for you. Now let me just say this first before we go. The older Christians in this church have been incredibly kind to me. And so when I see them, here's, what it, here's what's true about the older followers who have been here for a long time. They've always believed the best about me, even when I'm not showing it. And that's, that's been so important to me over the years. I have great respect for, I love the older Christians because you've been so kind to me. So I love you, all right? Have we established that? I like you. But now, get ready. This is what God says to you from his word. But I like you. Here we go. Older men. in the Older Christian men that have believed and received for a long time. Your life right now, your private life, your personal life, your public life, should in no way be running down the name of Jesus you should be bringing no shame to his name. And not only should you not be doing damage to the name of Jesus, you should be building up others in the church. Because you've had more time. There should be a maturity coming out of you by now. You've had more time for the Holy Spirit to be knocking the sin out of your members. You've had more time to put in knowledge I completely understand if you were biblically illiterate when you came into the faith. So was I. You'd never really looked at it. You just knew the bits and the pieces. There was a moment. There was a something. You, you knew this is what you wanted, but you didn't know anything about it. But all these years later, let's say 20 or 30 years later, do you know any more about it than you did back then? Can you handle the Word of God at all, or is it still a mystery to you? Do you know anything about it? Can you teach it? Do you know the parts and pieces of it? Have you... You've had, think about it, you've had decades to go through it, have you? Or do you just go to church? You have tremendous experience. You know so much. You've had seasons to go through, and you know about, you have so much knowledge about areas of life that younger Christians need. You know about acquiring wealth. You know what wealth is and what it isn't. You know what it will do and what it will not. And the young men don't know yet, and they still think it's going to do what it can never do, and you already learned it, so would you tell them? Are you in a position to tell them? You have experience. You know what it is to love a woman, maybe 10, 20, maybe 30, 40 years. How did you do it? Never fall out of love on the same day. That's what I heard. <laughs> it's okay, just not on the same day. That's be a bad, just, it's okay like this, just not like this. You have an example that you have so much experience. You've fought temptation for decades. How did you do it? 
what worked and what didn't. You have the, you've built in habits that have been beneficial. You've built in habits that have not. And you've done it for years and years. So would you pass that on? Do you know how valuable it would be to the younger Christians if you would build into them? You're like, well, they won't listen. Well, we're going to get to them at the end. That's the last point, actually. On this island, the, pro- the problem on this island is that the older men, they're just fumbling and bumbling around with the basics. They've never grown up. They're just still exactly the same as they were. Nothing has changed. And there's a frustration from God. There's a frustration from the pastor, from the church, from other Christians, from God towards the older men who won't grow up spiritually. It's frustrating to be always fumbling with the basics. I've been invited to coach 7th and 8th grade football. They put me in charge of wide receivers. (laughs) Something I can't mess up. You go over here. Um, We had our first game this past week, and some of the kids have never really had the uniform on before. And it can be a bit tricky. I mean, especially the pants. The pants have pockets in them, and there's certain pads that go here, and there's certain pads that go here, and there's belts and strings and such. So I had kids uh, walking up to me, you know, (laughs) like, um, so, something doesn't feel right. I'm like, really? Yeah. He's got these pads here. You know, they're, he's like, it doesn't, my knees don't bend. They just, they come out, they're fully dressed, and they're like, they hold the belt out. Like, I can't put this on. Because <laughs> you're supposed to put it on before you put your pants on. But, so I'm like, stringing belts through kids that are big, they're bigger than me. Like, big. Baby Huey, like, oh, jeez. Like. And you know what? I don't mind. Do you know why? It's the first game. But by the sixth game, I'm just tying them up with their belt, and we're going to go play ball. And if your son plays, I'm sorry, but I will tie him up with his belt. And... Because he doesn't know how to work it, he will not get out. <laughs> so what God is saying to the older Christian men, you have been on the team for 25 years and you still don't know how to put on the pants. So here it is. Temperance. This is where he starts in. Stop getting drunk. Maybe you had alcohol in your life as a young Christian. Maybe that was the pattern of your pre-Christian life, and you just kept getting drunk, and it spilled over a little in the beginning, but you knew then, has it, did it ever go well? Has you and alcohol ever gone well over the long haul? And if you know that it doesn't go well, then put it out of your life. There's never a command, thou shalt not drink alcohol. But there is a, thou shalt not get drunk. And if the two go together for you, and you've learned that over the last 25 years, put it away. Self-control. Stop yelling at your family. Men are, there's a certain harshness to them. I don't know. It comes from having to be, you just, everything's a fight. 
because we could go back to Genesis, the world is broken, everything, work is difficult. It's like all day long putting in belts, figuratively speaking, it's just one thing after another. And by the time you roll in, you just don't have anything left. And everyone knows you snap. There's a harshness to me. Everybody knows you lose it. Patience. Patience. You know what patience is? Patience is the ability to tolerate delay without getting angry. Do you know why I know the definition of patience? Because I'm trying to figure out the root cause of my anger. Because I just snap. Like it builds up and I just snap. And so do you. And everyone's tired of it. Has it ever, has your snapping ever produced anything you wanted it to produce? Ever? No. You owe, it always takes longer. You always have to go back around and say you're sorry. And you've done it so many times. The saying sorry part takes longer and longer and longer because nobody believes you. They just know you're going to do it again. Self-control, like by now, you have the Spirit of God. If you claim Christ and believe you have the Spirit of God, part of that fruit is self-control. Love, joy, peace, pa patience. Pa I'm telling you, patience is the one. Patience is the precursor to anger. Who cares if it takes a little longer? Who cares if it takes a little longer? I got stuck on four. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You have what it takes. Sound in the faith. Do you know the gospel? You have been around church for decades. Do you know the gospel? Here's a good measure. When you totally blow it, and we all know what that is, do you run to God or away from Him? When you are a mess, personally, privately, and you feel shame and guilt, do you run to him or do you run away and hide? Because if you run away and hide and you distance yourself, then you still, after all these years, do not know the gospel because there is a permanence in what God has done. The very fact that you believed was God working in your life. He pulled you in. He called you. And once you're in, he's like, I will complete what I've started. You can't wiggle out of that. There's a permanence about the cross. And the permanence of the cross is this. Once for all time, I dealt with it. I put it away. And oh, by the way, I knew who you were when I called you. There's no surprises, but I put it all away because you are mine and I have something for you to do. Do you know that? And have you experienced that? It's one thing to read about the goodness of God, but do you know it? Like, have you experienced his goodness? That he has been so good to you even when you never deserved it. And I know you know it, but do you experience it? And if you have and you do, that is Christian, and it gives you the ability to run to him when you blow it and not run away. Do you know it? Or do you still just run away? And you distance yourself and you go to your cave, which is what men do, and then you come out later and pretend everything's okay. Have you ever once, sound in the faith, have you ever once forwarded on the gospel? Are you in any way involved. Think about it. You have known it for 30 years. Have you ever told anyone? Do you know it well enough that you could actually roll it forward and speak it into someone else's life? How many, how many of that's been zero? Never once after all these years. Have you ever done anything with it? 
Are you participating at all in what God is doing in the world? Or do you just go to church? You just sound in the faith. Sound in love, it says. Sound, it says there's, there's a whole, there's more. But we'll move on. I tried to gather it up. I tried to gather up. I looked at all these little charges for holiness. And I tried to scrape them all up together and say, Overall, what is God saying? What is God asking? And he's calling you out of two things. One, he's calling you out of fumbling and stumbling over the basics. By now, you should be on to weightier things. So he's calling you away. Stop stumbling over the beginning basics. And two, he's calling you out of being selfish. Because the whole context for this is you are, you've grown up and then you pass it on. So it's not just the stumbling and the fumbling. It's You must not keep to yourself. Men, you must not keep to yourself. I've got a good friend who I worked with for a lot of years. I just saw him this week. I really like him. Probably one of the hardest working people I've ever met. And if you are hardworking, you instantly have credit with me. I love that. That is a quality that I love. Someone who's willing to work hard. And so when I see it, I like it. And his work was always very, very good. It was, I don't want to say it was never wrong, but rarely wrong. A little pricey at times, but always really good. And I liked him. I just, I still do. I saw him and I said, what are you doing? He's like, I retired. Oh man, what are you doing now? Well, I go to the beach. Like, and he started listing all these beaches. And I, I mean, I love the beach. But listen, there's only, like, you can only collect so many shark teeth, you know? And what if, like, what if you had all this time right now and it's just, and you spent it? I mean, what are you going to do? Because the end is going to be there. And, like, let's say you got a whole bucket of shark teeth. What are you going to say when you see him? What do you think? <laughs> Like, if you have time, what are you doing with that time? Like, if you're mature and unselfish, all this could be better. And it's part of the fix. It's part of the fix for a bunch of professing people who aren't living it out. Older women... Likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to too much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands, children, and to be self-controlled. The first thing it says is older women should be a reverence coming out of you. A deep respect for God. After all these years and all this time that you've walked with Him, that you've sought Him, that you know Him, that there should be... There will never be a reverence, a deep respect for God coming out of your life if you don't know him. You can't have a deep respect for God if you don't know who he is. Do you in any way know who he is? Like all you've had in your hands, God's revelation of who he is over time and through time, the great stories, old and new, of who he is, are those stories your possession? 
Do you know them? Or do they sit in you? Like, is, do you know your God? Older women in the faith, do you know your God? If you do not, there, won't be, there will be no reverence coming out of you, a respect for him that actually other people can see. What if in your families, as you gathered up, there was just a, a deep respect for God that everybody knew that that's where you were? I talked to an older woman at, before the nine o'clock, and she was uh, sharing with me a little bit about cancer the first time. And cancer the first time, she was sitting in her bed, and she was praying, she was nervous, she was crying, and she said, for whatever reason, that story came, the three guys in the fiery furnace, and, and as she was praying, she felt as though God was saying to her, listen, when I got those three guys out of the furnace, I didn't stand outside of it and get them out. I was actually in there with them, and I got them out, and I'm in this with you, and I'm going to get you out. And she said it was just like, man, just peace. Like, it's going to be okay. And I want you to know the picture of God as he, as he reveals it to be. The severity of God, but also the kindness. It's, it's all right there in those, in those stories. I mean, there are all kinds. There should be, reverence will never happen if there's not a healthy fear, do you know the, the severity of God? Is that part of who you believe him to be? There's that story about Lot's wife. God's going to destroy this city that's full of sin. And he tells them before they run out, like, don't look back. Because if you look back, what, what I know is, if you look back, what I'll know is, you actually loved your old sinful life better than the salvation that I'm giving you. And if you look back, then the salvation is not going to be yours. And so they take off. And what's that lady do? She looks back. And God's like, listen, I said what I said. Do you know that God, he says what he says, and he means what he says, and there's a severity to God. There's also a kindness. I mean, God is the one that gave his son. You probably, older women, you probably know better. Like the love that you have for a child, like it's intense. What if over the years someone has harmed your son in some way or someone was harming your son? What has that produced in you, women? When someone messes with your kid, what does that produce in you? <laughs> I'm telling you, there's something that comes out of a woman like, if you mess with someone's kid, you will not hear from the dad. The dad will be like, well, this is the way life is. Suck it up. And who will be banging on your door? Mom. For real. <laughs> you know the love God gave his for you. That should that should be a gratitude. So you got a little bit of fear and a bunch of gratitude. You put that together, you know it, and there's reverence for God. It comes out, and that's where you're to be now. That's where you're supposed to be by now. They tell a story about my great-grandma Ringer, who, I mean, we used to go, 
I associate her with two things. We used to go to their house sometimes after church, I don't know, and there was always head cheese there, whatever. I don't know what head cheese is. Don't think it's very good. So I associate her with that, <laughs> but also reverence. This is the story that they tell about her. They move her to a nursing home, and what, 90 plus? And she still has this discipline of prayer, like daily prayer beside her bed. And there was no rug, and so it was like cold tile floor, and here she is 90 plus, and she's still like on her knees beside her bed, submitting her life to the one she knows is greater, reverence. Say, I like, would you like a rug? Pray in your bed. It's more comfortable. Nah, this is what I do. Reverence. God is big, and I am not. God is good, and I am not. God can do anything, and I cannot. And for whatever reason, God has paid attention to me. And I am humbled, and I am grateful, and I gladly bow my life to him. Reverence. And by now, if you know him, you should have it. Two, watch your mouth. Older women, your words, your words can give life or they can kill. And I didn't pick the order of this. Like I didn't pick the list. But this one is under the older women. Watch your words. I picked James chapter 3 to help us see this one. Start in verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in his likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So you have these Bible studies of women on Crete, and they get there, and the first thing they do is they, they open up the wine. We'll get to wine in a little bit. They start pouring some wine, and then they just start in on people, and they just run people down. It's just talk, 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 and it's just cutting into people. People, it says that, you know, they're made in the likeness of God. Ripping on the preacher for a bad sermon. I thought Chad was terrible on Sunday. All those harsh things he said about it. We don't resemble that at all. I'm glad Steve's taking over. <laughs> Blander. Cutting it down. It says, out of the same mouth can't come praises and cursing. So you can't come here on Sunday and sing the great I am. Is that what we sang? The great I am? And then Monday, Tuesday, you're just tearing it up. Your words have the ability. Man, if we even go to the next one, to build up your home. Your words have the ability to build up your husband, to build up your home, to do all these things. Or they have the equal and as great ability to, to rip it down and to tear it apart 
and to tear others apart too. And by now, there should be an inward holiness that's controlling your members. By now, the inward holiness that God has produced in you should be controlling what comes out. I mean, what if you were the person at the get-together that you knew, like, listen, we don't run people down. And everybody knew as the matriarch, there you are in the middle, we do not run people down. And that's what you stood for. And that's, everybody knew, everybody knew to expect that from you. That's what's being called for here. Here. Don't be a slave to too much wine. And the two actually go together. The thing that will loosen your tongue the quickest is too much wine. So if you know it, if you have a history with wine and it's not good and it loosens your tongue and you always end up in a place of regret, put away the wine. There's no command that says thou shalt not drink. But if you can't handle it, put it away. Alcohol was a huge problem on this island. I have no idea if alcohol is a huge problem on this island, but if it is, put it away. Do not be a slave. And the last one, it says, build into the young women three things. How to love their husbands, how to love their kids, take care of their souls, not just their bodies, and guide your home. And our home has been blessed by this very one. When my wife was young, she was smart enough to know what she didn't know. And she was lucky enough to have a woman in the church. Her name was Kim, who was a shining example. Like their home ran in a certain way. And she, just call it the grace of God, was able to see that is what I want. And when she approached her, she's like, sure. And so they walked and they talked. And they walked and they talked. And my wife listened. She just shut her mouth and she listened. And this woman said, do this. Don't do this. Cut them some slack here. Cut them no slack here. Never do this. Always do this. Her name was Kim. To this day, because of her example, the way her home was run under God, the way her home was run and her willingness to build in, our home runs the way it runs for the better. I'm, I'm indebted to her. So, and it, listen, it was over the long haul. It wasn't like at lunch one day, oh, do this, do this. No, it was a long, steady, like we were over at their house. We hung out. Like they just brought us into their life. So we could watch and learn and watch and learn. And we did very little talking. That's the key. We did a lot of listening which is the last one for the young people because we're out of time. Find the older folks in the church who are living it, who are walking what they say, and be very quiet. Seek them out and listen. Don't talk. Just listen. Seek them out and see what they say. I didn't intend to let the young people off today. <laughs> I just ran out of time. There's a, a whole section there. But primarily that's it. My favorite football players are the ones that don't talk. I love, 
I love a humble kid who wants to learn. Man, we got a bunch that just, I guess they know it all. Just nothing good comes out of that. So very quietly, see the way it's supposed to work in here. Biblical community in the church is to be led by the older men and women. Because you are supposed to be at a place where you actually have something to offer. The younger men and women are supposed to connect with you and you disciple them. If you can hear this today, then put yourself out there. Biblical community in the church should be led by the older men and women. And there should be a, a, a humility and a willingness to connect with those from the younger folks that in the end is going to turn us into something that, that looks very different from chapter 1, verse 16. They professed it, but they never lived it. If we go to work inside of here according to this, then we'll be ready to go out there ready for every good work. And that's actually chapter 3. Chapter 2 is about what happens in here. And then chapter 3 is about, okay, now that you're fitted, now that you're fitted, having been obedient to these things, for good, now go out there and do it. The reason for all of it is how chapter 2 ends. And the reason ultimately is Christ and his sacrifice. So this is how it ends. Here's the big why that ends it. Why all of this stuff? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. So you can't disregard me. I mean, I'm not Titus, but you can't disregard it because it's what God once said inside of the church. So now you've heard it. I'm thankful for Titus. It's, it's harsh and it's short, which is, I like it that way. It's harsh, but it's short. So may you take in this, this great little piece of revelation and may it produce in you the thing that God wants it to produce in you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thanks for Titus, and thank you that it is short, and thank you for the truth, and by your Holy Spirit and our obedience to the word, may you bring about in us what only you can. I ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said.